Hey everyone, it's Robert Poole with the Growing Your B2B Small Business Podcast. As we all know, the last year globally has been just totally crazy. In the U.S., many of our fellow business owners are no longer in business. And for those of us who survived, the question is why? And how do we survive the next crisis as it's definitely going to happen again? Let's get started. Do you have a small business that sells to other businesses? If so, you probably know that there are plenty of resources for companies that market to consumers or companies that sell to large and Fortune 500 type companies. But what about the small businesses in the middle who sell to other companies? Where do we go to get answers? How do we grow our company consistently while still keeping our sanity? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of an elite group of achievers who are willing to settle for just a nine-to-five job. You're one of the heroes in our society, and you should be proud of it. Welcome to the tribe, and welcome home. Okay, everyone, I hope you're having an awesome day today. In the last episode, we talked about the the all-important gap between our clients or our customers' expectations about our product or service and what we think we're selling. Today, I want to talk to you about a pretty serious topic, and that's what happened to small businesses in 2020 and into 2021. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic has permanently changed business and all of our lives, as you well know. As of this recording, it appears there's light at the end of the tunnel, but there are still parts of the world that are deep in the crisis. While the human life lost is tragic, you know, it was something that we at least keep track of and count in the last year or so. However, the extraneous damage done to the economy and people's lives is becoming more and more apparent every day. I mean, who knew there'd be a shortage of chicken and lumber? you know, all construction materials for that matter, even things like chlorine for a pool. I mean, every day there's a new commodity that's been affected. I don't think the governments around the world realized how far-reaching their decisions were and how many uh, not-so-obvious things would be affected. But regardless of your political beliefs, you know, mask or no mask, etc., I think most people believe that our leaders had good intentions to keep everyone safe, even if we don't always agree with their methods. That being said, the effect of these government intervention has been catastrophic for a lot of small businesses, particularly in the hospitality industry, like restaurants. With their well-intentioned unemployment payments to those who lost their jobs immediately after it all started in the U.S., they effectively created a disincentive for people to come back to work. And these same businesses that were shut down for a time are now continuing to struggle just to fulfill for their customers. You know, as a side note off topic, and this really occurred to me the other day, You know, you may have heard me talk about my belief that business owners and entrepreneurs are some of the true heroes in our society that don't get enough credit for what they go through to enrich enrich each of our lives. You know, it occurred to me the other day that in this last year, besides all the first responders who are obviously heroes, um, there are a lot of people who've really stepped up to the plate. The other night, I was picking up a pizza from our local pizza place where they pretty much know us by name. My five-year-old loves their pizza, so we end there up there, uh, you know, a few nights a week. Anyway, there's a young girl in there at the counter. I'm guessing she's 18 or 19. And my guess is she's probably not making much more than minimum wage. I know her by name, due to our frequency. And it occurred to me that she's been at that counter almost every day uh, since the first lockdowns and, you know, and the restaurant dining, in restaurant um, dining was banned in the U.S. The way the unemployment system had worked in the last year, it, it wasn't like in the past where you had to get laid off or fired to qualify your unemployment. You just had to apply and, you know, basically say you're unemployed. So she could easily quit her job, making it harder for her already stressed out employer, you know, help put the place out of business and next to service that our family uses a lot. She could have probably made a lot more money staying at home and doing whatever she liked than actually working. 
Instead, she chose to work and keep contributing and serving the people that came in. You know, in my mind, she and all the people like her are unsung heroes from the last year. And, you know, before anyone goes crazy, I'm not saying that there aren't plenty of people who, probably most of them, that legitimately lost their jobs and had difficulty finding work. I'm just saying that there are people out there who had a chance to take the easy route and didn't. Anyway, it was totally off topic, but that was a bit on my heart. So as everyone knows, this last year has been tough and, and crazy at times. For a lot of business owners, they're no longer in business or just barely hanging on or deep in debt. You know, if you're one of the fortunate ones whose business actually grew during this time, count your blessings. But listen to the rest of this episode is you might not get so lucky next time. The real question is, what did we learn from it? And what do we do as entrepreneurs and business owners to prepare for the next crisis? I mean, some people want to stick their head in the sand now that things are starting to recover a little and pretend this is all behind us. But it's not, and it's going to happen again. It may not be a virus, but there'll be an economic collapse. The government will intervene again. And if we aren't realistic in anticipating that, a lot of us won't make it through the second time. Besides things that are a shock to the economy and business as a whole, there are many more risks, you know, much more likely to happen than even 10 years ago. In conflict with other countries, uh, terrorism directed at infrastructure, cyber attacks um, that we've never faced before. You know, things like cyber attacks and ransom situations are not going to be just with large companies like they are now. I mean, these criminals are going to start moving down the chain as they look for easier targets to get to, and they're eventually going to get to businesses like ours. They're just as much business killers as any virus or a war with another country, but they're very specific to each of our businesses. So in my mind, the clock is ticking. The good news is that we're going to get a breather in between crises. So now is the time to prepare for the inevitable next crisis. I remember going to a Tony Robbins Business Mastery week-long seminar, I think it was back in 2018, and Tony talked a lot about preparing for the next economic crisis. He uh, talked about, I think his phrase was, winter is coming. Uh, in retrospect, I mean, he was kind of Yoda. He hit it right on. I mean, he didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew it was coming. I remember thinking about what I needed to do to prepare, but like a lot of us, I didn't spend enough time on it. I mean, let's face it, in the U.S., I don't think we've ever had government step in and shut down whole industries and tell people to stay in their house, and certainly not in my lifetime. And we didn't see this one coming and probably won't see the next one coming. But what we can do is prepare for when it happens, not if. You know, we'll see government intervention in the U.S. as governments now realize they can do it, and it'll be a knee-jerk reaction to future crises like COVID. I know this is a lot of doom and gloom, but I just want to hit that hard, the reality that the next crisis is coming. And if we want to survive, now's the time to take action. You know, even if you prosper during this time, you may not be so lucky next time unless you take time to prepare. Okay, so let's start by talking about why some businesses survived and hundreds of thousands didn't. You know, if we don't know the factors involved, it's pretty hard to do any intelligent preparation. And I think, you know, everybody would agree there are a couple of obvious reasons why some business weathered the storm and continue to do so better than others. Number one, of course, cash reserves. This is much more prevalent in larger companies, particularly public companies with cash to burn. I mean, with billions of dollars in excess cash lying around, you know, Apple isn't going anywhere. But for a lot of small businesses, this excess cash and reserve is not reality. You know, if you were smart enough and profitable enough to build cash reserves, this last year was probably better on you financially as far as cash flow. But like most Americans, you know, I think statistically they have like something like $1,200 in savings or something. My guess is that the average small business reserves aren't far behind. So I think cash reserves is the biggest reason a lot of companies survive. The other obvious, uh, obvious one is luck in being in an industry that's in high demand during the crisis. 
for example, you know, in this case, everyone was at home in the last year and decided, hey, you know, we're going to make some home improvements since they're going to be home more often. Being in the remodeling industry was the right place at the right time. Nothing to do with skill, but those well-run businesses were able to skyrocket and even poorly run ones did well. The problem with those two reasons is, is that as a business owner, you have absolutely no control over either of them. While you can build up cash over time, if you don't have the cash and a crisis hits, you know, you're likely SOL as lenders probably won't loan and it's too late to save for future reserves. If you're not in the lucky list of, you know, industries in demand again, nothing you can do about it other than, you know, start a new business, I suppose, which is pretty hard to do fast and be able to take advantage of things. But I guess I sort of left out one type of business that's thrived during this crisis. And this type of business didn't grow because of a resource advantage like cash reserves and it wasn't luck like being in the right industry. These type of businesses are the one that have been able to pivot or, as we used to say in the Army, adapt and overcome. You know, that sounds like a pie-in-the-sky theory type of stuff, but, you know, and I always get annoyed when I listen to a speaker or go to a seminar and they spend all the time on, you know, high-level generalities, which, you know, not, instead of telling us, you know, take action and pivot. But, I mean, what does this actually mean for me and my business is what I always want to know. So let's talk some specifics. I mean, what are some specific ways to pivot, adapt, and overcome? Number one, and this is always, you know, the one that separates the winners from the losers, it takes effort. I mean, if we don't put in the time and effort into preparing our business for the next crisis, we have to have a lot of cash to burn or, you know, win a lot of lottery prizes and hope that luck continues. In our day-to-day running a business, it's very easy to get caught up in operator mode, leaving little time to slow down and be an owner. This transition from operator owner, which should be the ultimate goal for a company, you know, it takes time and you'll probably be, never be 100% uh, there. I talk a lot about this concept of operator versus owner in other episodes, so I won't go into it here, but think about it this way. How much money did you lose in the last year that, or you could have lost if you were shut down or hampered from doing business? If you could avoid losing that sum or even making you know, that sum during the next crisis, would it be worth, you to, worth it to you to spend some regular, consistent time working on the owner activities? I know it would be for me, and that's why I schedule that now. So yes, it should be obvious that you need to put in effort, but you have to develop a belief system that helps you through the coming tough and stressful times. You have to develop what some would term, you know, like an unstoppable mindset and commitment. Now, I mentioned him a lot in this podcast. He's been a big influence in my life, but years ago, I remember hearing Tony Robbins talk about how he developed a belief system that, quote, there's always a way. And this helped him survive in business and be vastly successful over the years. And that really stuck with me. And when I've gone through tough times, I've repeated that to myself over and over again, without getting into the side topic on how to build beliefs. But basically, you know, the things that we tell ourselves consciously over and over again start to become beliefs and actions supporting those beliefs become habitual. Maybe we don't even realize it. Some of us are already at this point of absolute commitment to success and survival at almost any cost during the next crisis. But if you aren't, you know, find some ways to build that attitude and belief system, as none of these other specific items are going to help if you don't have this in line. First, we talked about financial stability and cash. Obviously, if you can build reserves for the coming crisis, this is one of the best ways to ensure survivability. But this is tough to do for a lot of small businesses, as we generally run a pretty lean ship most of the time. I would say start small and stay consistent. It's a discipline that will pay off later. And while this is important, I don't think it's the most important because even if we have reserves, you're still losing money during the crisis, and it's a matter of time before that runs out. 
So one of the most important things I believe we can do is to sort of start gaming questions about our business. Things we may have not have thought about in the past. I mean, what are our areas of risk? I mean, for instance, I used to think that we'd all be, always be able to find good team members since we're a great company to work for and we pay well, but that's simply not enough during a crisis like we're in. Since then, we've spent a lot of time working on this aspect of building our team and preparing to continue in the next crisis. I mean, what if our customers suddenly lose their customers and they have very little revenue to pay us? How do we convince them to spend what money they have with us? How do we show them that they can't stop spending you know, on revenue-producing activities like marketing that our company does. So what's the plan for continuing operations if we suddenly lose a good chunk of our employees? What are we going to do as far as backup? You know, we had a point in the last year where two-thirds of our employees, including myself, had COVID. Unfortunately, no one was hospitalized with anything serious, but it could have been brutal. So work with your team and brainstorm ideas, areas of risk, and possible mitigation strategies. Again, this takes time and commitment, but Keep in mind the amount of money that you'll save or, or make when you feel this, like, you know, blowing this off and doing other activities. So what else can we do to prepare for the next inevitable crisis? Diversification. We can diversify our risk by owning more than one business uh, in unrelated industries, of course. I mean, sometimes entrepreneurs own businesses in the same industry, which, you know, I think can come back to bite you, and especially in times of crisis. Even if you own, you know, only one company, you still need to diversify your client and customer base. You want to diversify that base as much as you can without putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, by either customer type, industry, size, a percentage of your business, etc. This is actually one of the things that we did early on at our B2B marketing company, Sales Double. We made a conscious decision not to do large corporate deals that would account for more than 5% of our revenue. We didn't want to risk that you know, one company could cause us to lose, you know, for instance, 20% of our revenue overnight. You know, where this comes into the picture is that, you know, if you have a small or even large customer base and they're all concentrated in one or two industries or share a lot of correlation, you know, you're opening up yourself to a lot of risk. I mean, during a crisis, you know, if we're not relying on a handful of businesses to survive or customers are just in one industry to survive, our chances of success are much better. My short tenure as a stockbroker with Merrill Lynch uh, about 25 years ago, I remember learning about stock correlations, which basically meant how two stocks tend to move relative to each other. For instance, in a good economy, if both tended to rise and, and tend to fall in a bad economy, that was a positive correlation. If they tended to move in the opposite direction, depending on the economy, uh, that would be a, norm, a non-correlated uh, or a negative correlation between the two. So we want to make sure we do the same thing with our clients and ensure they're not in industries that are strongly correlated. You know, if you have two similarly related industries, uh, if the economy goes up or down, we don't want the customers to all jump ship at the same time during a crisis. We want diversification so that even if one industry is drastically affected by the crisis, maybe another industry we have is not so affected and actually does well. And of course, diversifying our risk by owning multiple companies and diversifying the industries of our customers, you know, will take a lot of stress out of your life too. So spend some time thinking about it. Next, just like it's too late once a crisis hits to start putting aside money and reserves, you know, once in crisis mode, you don't want to be racking your brain to figure out new things, new things to try, new strategies, new ideas, and so on. Now is the time to start developing strategies and ideas, experiment with them, and just to see if they're worth pursuing when you have time and then kind of put them on ice when you have more time or you need to make some substantial changes fast. You know, at our company, we've known for several years that our clients could use not only help with their B2B marketing, but 
also general help with on how to grow their businesses, how to reduce stress, and how to make that transition from operator to owner. We knew the need wasn't there, but it wasn't critical to our daily operations, so it got put on the back burner. It wasn't until COVID hit that we brought this out, dusted it off, and decided to implement it as we knew our clients really needed it, given the current situation. So keep ideas and future strategies in mind and be ready to implement them quickly at the right time. We kind of talked about this earlier, but this is why it's so critical to spend time now working on the role of owner versus operator. You know, if we aren't used to spending at least some of our time as an owner, when the crisis hits, you know, we'll be scrambling and running around trying to stay afloat with no time for leadership, no time to be an owner and implement those new strategies and all that needs to happen to adjust your business to the situation. Next, I would say, figure out how you can financially run a lean operation, what you can do to conserve cash in a crisis, and where's the bloat in your finances right now? For instance, we signed a new three-year lease for our office space the month before the first lockdown hit. Boy, what great timing that was. You know, it's largely been empty since. In the future, we won't be signing any contracts with a vendor longer than a year. I understand vendors often need commitment, just as we ask of our clients. But a year is usually sufficient in a lot of cases, and not worth the potential risk and the lack of flexibility in getting yourself into a three- to five-year deal with a vendor. If you have to sign a long-term commitment, know up front what the cost is to get out of it and decide if it's worth the risk. Now, these next few are more what to do when you find yourself in the middle of the crisis. Of course, you have to act fast, but you can help mitigate some of the damage. While it's true that you should all strive to have a thriving business even in difficult times, you know, the realistic priority is survival. Once you have survival down, then you can focus on thriving and growing your business during these times. This first one may seem obvious, but a lot of entrepreneurs and owners were caught flat-footed at the beginning of this pandemic. They'd never thought it was possible for the government to shut them down if they weren't involved in some criminal activity or whatever. A lot of people spent time being angry, depressed, and stressed out. And while this is all normal and okay to do on a short-term basis, the quicker you can start attacking the problem, the more likely you'll succeed. So what can you do? I mean, I would start with the basics. Use your imagination and brainstorm how you can serve your customers best during this crisis. What product or service do they need more than ever because of this situation? And this is where those tabled ideas uh, that you hopefully put on ice uh, can be brought out when needed. Are there solutions that you can quickly develop that'll help them? Can you use creative financing to help pay for your services? Explore and um, next, explore and reach out to complementary companies that have services or products that go well with yours and that have some of the same customers. By pooling your resources with marketing operations, you can help each other stay in business. You know, the best way to prepare for this is to do research on who'd be a good fit for you and start working on that relationship. Finally, and you know, this is usually not the best option or one that most of us want to consider, but you've got to be realistic. You know, if you feel that this crisis has fundamentally and permanently changed the demand and the market for your product or services, you may consider even dumping the company for another opportunity. You know, it normally takes quite some time to sell a company, but at fire sale prices, you can speed this process up. It's better to have some cash than have none at all and go out of business. Again, I'd say this is a last resort, but let's say you decide your business is poor long-term prospects. You could sell it for whatever discounted amount you can get for it and then reinvest in, in a businesses that are struggling due to cash, but long-term have a good outlook. During crisis are some of the best times to buy or invest in another company because the vast majority of owners aren't prepared and you might find companies that have a real good value priced dirt cheap because the owner isn't prepared, they don't have that unstoppable mindset, and they just want out. And this is a golden opportunity, as they say. 
whether you sell your business or just have the cash to buy another one. So again, this is something that scares a lot of us with good reason, but in the right circumstances and being realistic, you know, this may be your best option. So takeaways from this episode, you know, winter is coming again. There'll continue to be crises that take all of us off guard. Those who accept that and start doing as much preparation as they can are much more likely to survive. Spend some time on a regular basis planning for mitigation strategies. The time you spend now will either save you a ton of money or make you a ton of money, and most importantly, keep you in business. That's all I have for today, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something you can implement right away. I know your time is valuable, and it's really an honor to serve you. Please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform and give me your honest feedback. Also, I put together a short ebook on some of the top lessons I've learned in 20 years owning a B2B business. You can download a free copy at growyourb2bcompany.com. 